I'm walking around with like three, four hundred thousand dollars in a briefcase, and my father's just walking along in front of me. I'm walking behind him, and 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 people are oblivious. And and as I got older, I was like, Dad, you do realize like you're you're trusting me with all this money. It's like, look, people know I'm the promoter. If I'm walking around the briefcase, they're gonna know that there's probably something of value in there, and they're gonna try to rob me. They look at you holding the briefcase, they're gonna think, oh, it's just a bunch of papers. Why would he let his son hold three, four hundred thousand dollars in a briefcase? Welcome, everybody. This is episode 011 of Launch Academy with myself as the host, Sam. I work at Launch Academy, and of course, the star of the show, Shade. Hi everyone. We're here and we finally have our guest. We say finally because we actually tried to do this last week. CEO and founder of Ray Wallier, co-founder, apologies, of Launch Academy and I guess Launch Academy, Ray Wallier, welcome to the show. Thank you. I wouldn't say I'm a co-founder of Launch Academy. That was yeah. definitely your idea. Yeah. I get all the IP, yeah. right? I, I just said, okay, go for it just to watch you uh, So I'm the fail founder and... of Launch Academy and then Sam is that's, that's how it works. Production assistant. And of course, conducting the dials, we have producer lady Claire, as always. She's super shy and never wants to be mic'd up. <laughs> um, but here we are. This is, uh, this is a big day for us, but maybe not for, for you guys' viewers. It feels like the day after the apocalypse. Um, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I felt that bad. I don't know what it was this year, but maybe it was my ankle. What? No, it was great this year. It's your no, first time doing I, I it. Meant, it's his I meant, fifth time I doing it. I meant energy-wise. The, the event was great. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But I just meant energy-wise. It felt very tough on me. I think I was just hitting that 30 mark. So I don't know how you're doing it at your uh, peak age of 18. But um, <laughs> for those that are listening, we just held our annual traction conference. So what is traction? Uh, so traction essentially is a conference to help entrepreneurs, founders, marketers understand the ins and outs of how to acquire customers, how to retain customers, and more importantly, how to monetize your customers. And so what we did, this was our fifth traction conference. And so this all started with uh, myself and Lloyd Lobo from Boast uh, AI. We were having drinks and talking and uh, bemoaning about uh, the lack of experience and insight in Vancouver entrepreneurs understanding how to properly build their businesses and how to scale and grow their businesses and more importantly how they don't do things the way that things are done in Silicon Valley and we started going back and forth well how do you get more Canadians to go and experience Silicon Valley and learn from Silicon Valley companies it's just not impossible and so we thought hey what if we can bring Silicon Valley to Vancouver and uh, help disseminate this information and this knowledge and so uh, Traction was born it was a conference designed to bring Silicon Valley to Vancouver and bring cool amazing speakers uh, we had a unicorn threshold so you had to be worth a billion dollars or more to be on our stage and uh, come and talk about how you've scaled and grown your business and more importantly how you gain traction and it was all designed to be rapid fire 15 20 minute talks that are practical content information that you can take right back to your company the very next day and start to apply and try to get yourself to that billion dollar status i heard a lot of really good feedback about the rapid fire kind of format. Point. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. I've never experienced a conference like that before. Yeah. And at first, when I saw the schedule, 
and I saw that it was going to be 20 minutes or max 30 minutes. I think some people was 30 minutes. It's 15 to yeah. 30 minutes. 30 minutes is usually like if it's a like, panel or a pod. These or people a are like incredible leaders. How can you get up on stage for 20 minutes? Like go. How I feel like they could speak for hours, right? But then I actually talked to a few people and they said that that was the best part of it because they didn't feel drained at the end and they felt like they got the most important points. And, well, the other yeah. thing that, too, that a lot of people don't know, so Launch Academy is a non-profit. So Traction is a fundraiser for Launch Academy as a non-profit. And as a non-profit, and Lloyd and myself being two cheap brown guys, we don't pay our, spon- our, our, our speakers to come and talk. Like, they fly in on their own dime. They spend, spend their own money on the hotel rooms and they take time away from their business all to just come up on stage for 15 minutes at traction. Yeah, that's a lot. And, and these guys are, girls are running billion dollar businesses. And, and yeah, it just says a lot of, of the nature and, and quality of the people, but also uh, the concept and the, and the mindset around that subject matter. Traction is the lifeblood of every business, uh, every successful business. You cannot have a successful business unless you've got customers coming in through the door and more importantly, people paying you for your product, your yeah. services. And so uh, the other thing is, again, that that format over the last five years, we have a very specific reputation now of uh, FOMO. Nobody wants to leave their seats because they're afraid of missing that next talk. And uh, there's very little networking that happens in the hallways, Mm -hmm. in the um, lobby area while the conference is actually going on. It all happens during the breaks, but more importantly in the cool kick-ass parties that we run in the evenings uh, before and after the conference. That was also something that was impressive to me. So, like, I was Impressive, like, you had really low expectations of of the people you work with. (laughs) No, because, I mean, my first traction, and I'm running around dealing with a million things, and I, in my mind, have only the expectations of all the conferences I've been to in the past, where a lot of the times people end up networking during different speakers that they don't really care for. And this was the first time in my entire life that I was walking around and I'm like, everyone's in there the whole time. Every speaker is getting a full crowd, which I mean, I think is... I think my favorite part is every once in a while, me being on the outside of the, the conference room, is that every once in a while you're going to see one guy or one gal just sprint out of the conference room, just go beeline for the bathroom, <laughs> and then they got to go back in. And, and, and just every every so often you'd think like, oh, something bad's happening, like there's a fire or something, this is why yeah. there's a person running. It's like, no, they're just... Or they do a double take, right? Because they don't know which direction the bathroom is. Yeah. And and then they do this thing, and then they do a shift, and then they run from the bathroom, and then they run back. It's um, like me at the movie theater when I have to, ex- go to the It's exactly yeah. like that, right? Um, but but like I, I want to dive a little bit deeper. Like, what do you think the motivation is for some of some of the speakers that are you know flying down here, um, spending some time with with our community and our crowd here? So I'll give you kind of a history of, of the first traction. So Lloyd and, and myself came up with the idea and um, over drinks. That's important. Over drinks. Yeah. Yes. Best decisions are made over drinks. Uh, Lloyd said, "Okay, let's let's reach out and see what happens. See what what uh, what type of response to get from people, uh, and see if they're interested in talking." And again, we set the bar high. Said, "Okay, billion dollar valuation or, or or more." And I think he reached out to like maybe thirty five people. And we're, we're, we're sitting here thinking, okay, maybe five, maybe 10 will respond and, and we can kind of work with that and see where we go. All 35 responded and all 35 said yes. And these oh. were, we were top names, the Linda from lynda.com. We had Mark Organ, we had um, uh, um, 
Josh from uh, uh, Twilio and, and these are major companies and, and we're, we're sitting there looking at each other like, oh shit, what do we do now? <laughs> like all 35 said yes. And um, when we dug into it, uh, it turned out like, why did they say yes? It's like, first of all, subject matter. What's really, really key to uh, all of their businesses, they truly, truly believe traction is the most important thing that they've uh, needed to focus on. And this was 2015 in Silicon Valley, so traction was a very, very hot topic and, and everybody really wanted to wrap their heads around it and, and drive that home to their teams. Um, but the other two factors was the peer group. And so when you're in San Francisco, you're, you're inundated with all these different events and activities, you got to run your own businesses. And so these entrepreneurs, these leaders will only get like maybe five minutes, 10 minutes of uh, cross-pollination time with their peers. Uh, sometimes they'll go for drinks or whatnot, but uh, it happens very rarely. And for them to be able to go, get out of San Francisco close enough that it's only a two hour flight uh, and they can fly back the next day if they need, or the same day if they need to, next day, no problem. Um, but also be able to get out of Silicon Valley, be around their peers, have some uh, um, networking time, connecting time with their um, uh, peers that are like-minded and trying to wrap their heads around how to scale and grow their business, how to get traction, was very important to them. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the third factor was, especially in 2015, a lot of the uh, bigger companies out there were getting wind of other tech companies coming and setting up shops in Vancouver and getting their development teams set up here. And so a lot of them were coming up saying, okay, hey, summertime, I can go to Vancouver for a couple days. I can connect with all my fellow peers uh, outside the valley so we can have a little more downtime, not a lot of pressure, not a mm -hmm. lot of other people uh, harassing us uh, for our time. And I can check out what's going on in Vancouver. Why is uh, uh, Zillow acquiring yeah. a company out here? Why is Zenefit setting up an office out here? And uh, that all started happening around that time and, and traction was uh, a, a catalyst to that. And you look at it today, fast forward, a lot of these um, larger corporations are coming up here because they're scouting, they're looking yeah. for opportunities, looking for acquisitions, looking for dev teams to acquire, they're looking for companies to set up. Eventbrite just yesterday announced that they acquired Pick a tick. Yeah, Pick we've a got tick. that in our announcements. Shout out to Jay. Yeah. Congratulations. So, two, two, two touch points there. Pick a tick was a company incubated here right at Launch Academy in 2014 and 2015. And uh, Eventbrite was one of the speakers at our uh, conference in actually the one that we did in San Francisco in 2015. Uh, so, mm. tie ins, there you go. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Not to say that Launch Academy had anything to do with the introductions between them. That's. Just uh, yeah. an aside, like, hey, everything's like a six degree separation. Kevin Bacon thing, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a game for you guys for one of your future. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of Sade. How, much, how far <laughs> does Sade uh, need to go to yeah. learn something about somebody? Mm. Cool. But, like, you know, one, one of the things I think you mentioned, and, and I'm going to come back to this drinks thing in a second, um, but I think a lot of things had to kind of line up together. The timing had to be right. Um, random question just out of the blue do you think traction conference would be what it is if it was 2008 or 2010 <laughs> no no i don't think it would be uh it, it it is a a magic mix of different opportunities uh launch academy was getting its brand and reputation up uh there was uh, a lack of um 
knowledge and experience around that specific subject matter. A lot of people come back to us and say, oh, well, well, what, what's the difference between traction and BC Tech? Back then it was Grow Conference. What's the difference between traction and Grow Conference? It's like they're, they're not the same thing. Grow Conference, BC Tech Summit, they're showcase events of the industry and, and it's an opportunity to um, cross-pollinate between uh, verticals, health tech and clean tech and IOC and IoT and, and uh, AI, whereas traction is a very specific subject matter. How do you get customers? How do you retain them? And how do you monetize them? And um, uh, I personally think there's, there's no comparison to other conferences because we're not trying to compete. Like we're really there just to help these entrepreneurs accelerate and grow. I think the other factor is also uh, Launch Academy is a nonprofit. So we're not an entertainment company. We're not an events-based business. So if our primary objective is not to bring in as many dollars to the door. Our primary objective is to bring as many resources and opportunities to the companies attending to scale and grow their business. So um, other people that are doing conferences and events don't see it through the same lens as we do. Um, and so, uh, yeah, to, to your question, would it have been the same thing at a different time? No, because... Both Lloyd and I would have been in different mindsets. The environment around us would have been in different mindsets. But speaking speaking of where you come from, so one of the things I wanted to make sure when we first made uh, Ray a guest on the show is that we're not just going to sit here and and be good employees and things like that. Um, and I think part of part of it. Who said you ever were good employees? Oh, <laughs> I that hurts. <laughs> yeah, you are when you actually listen to my Slack messages. <laughs> But I actually haven't looked at any but Slack messages. I, I, think, I think one of the mysteries of Launch Academy and one of the mysteries of, of yourself is like your entire background of like all these different things that have occurred that makes us where we are today. And not to say that where we are right now is, is the destination or, or the end point or, or a pinnacle or anything. I think we're still kind of riding this journey along um, with all your different projects. But But like, for example, like, who are you really? Like, were you even born here? <laughs> we'll take yeah, First let's of all, go back. let's go far back. Let's go way far back, right? Like, because, I, it, whoa, my shirt just totally shrunk. Um, <laughs> stay like that, that's hilarious. <laughs> Shouldn't have had that extra burger. <laughs> <laughs> I had too much good food yesterday. Um, but, but yeah, like, we're, we, and it all ties in together because, okay, you know, behind the curtain, I do know a little bit about Ray's story. And it, it does tie in together because part of running a good conference Yes, part of it is understanding good content, but also being able to put on a good show. And and I think you know where I'm attesting to yeah. this. But like, but like, yeah, where were were you were you actually born here? Like, where where did the skill sets come from? What was your what was your family business doing? Like, why didn't you continue doing that? That kind of stuff. Ride us down that journey. Yeah. So I guess before I do that, just a little side. I I said this on stage yesterday, and it was just a funny anecdote that came out uh, during the conference. Uh, we had I won't say who it was, but. Uh, uh, very prominent uh, tech leader come up to us and say, hey, this is amazing uh, conference. Uh, who's the event company that you guys use to put this on? And uh, that person said that to myself and Lloyd. And Lloyd and I are standing next to each other, look at each other like, are you serious? You get two cheap brown guys here. You think we use uh, an events company? It's like, we do it ourselves. You get a bunch of volunteers, you get a bunch of slave employees, give them a, give them a mandate and they'll so go the execute. Hashtag minion movement. <laughs> and so that's just a, a funny aside. It's like, no, we don't use an events company. We do it ourselves. Um, uh, the other funny thing though, I guess it's not funny. It's, it's just reality is uh, we are a nonprofit and this is a team of six people. And um, 
we accomplish a conference that's recognized by Forbes and Inc. as one of the top 10 marketing conferences in North America with just four people or three people most of the year, myself, Lloyd, and Alana. Last year was Anu and uh, Alex and, and a handful of people in the, in the previous years. Uh, whereas other events companies have 10, 15 people running a conference all year round. But you go back to Launch Academy is not just traction. We put on our, our launch pad. We do our, our landing pad programs. We do our elite programs. We've got uh, other stuff that's happening, events that are happening on a regular basis all, all year round. And then on top of that, Lloyd runs Boast and he's building his company and I'm doing Victory Square or Sports Technology Group or uh, any of the other 200 other things I'm doing at any given time. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, it's, it's a big testament to the team that's around it. Like on the day of, everybody rolls up their sleeves. Sam was there at six in the morning. Sade was there um, to keeping everybody happy and smiling, you know, even though everybody was grumpy inflating being up there. Balloons. Inflating balloons. If inflating you guys balloons. enjoyed those helium balloons, that was all me. So you're welcome. Give, give us a light yeah. for the balloons. <laughs> Uh, and producer Claire making sure that the missing balloon gets put back in place. There's a lot of inside jokes here, uh, but uh, but seriously, yes, it was a, definitely a team effort. But uh, I want to recognize that uh, we accomplished so much with such uh, a small team. That, uh, it's, it's really impressive. But to go back to your point, it's, it, it is a lot of experience. Um, yes, I was born here, born and raised in Vancouver, very proud to be a Vancouverite. Um, my family immigrated here. My father came in. Uh, this is a long story. I'm going to try to keep it really short. Uh, he came in the 60s. Tr real, true entrepreneur stories. $7 in his pocket. Um, uh, well, he, he came with more. He went around the U.S. Uh, just trying to scope out what's out there. Uh, he had a PhD in chemistry. And um, uh, he wanted to look for jobs and opportunities. And came to the US, went, went around, went to like Toronto, and then last stop was Vancouver on his way back home to go back to my mom and then kind of give him a lay of land and make a decision where they want to go. He came to Vancouver and literally only had seven bucks back left in his pocket. And uh, he had a friend that owned a grocery store and he kind of crashed it in the back of the grocery store while um, he was here and he just fell in love with the city. He's like this is where I want to spend the rest of my life. This is where, where I want to raise my family. And uh, he didn't leave. And so he worked, uh, he got his work visa and he uh, worked uh, at the grocery store, slept at the back of the grocery store in the evenings and he got then started driving a taxi. And so he was working the grocery store, working taxi. And then he also uh, moved on from the grocery store, started working at a steel mill. So his PhD degree in chemistry was worthless because it was from India and had no uh, weight here. Isn't that crazy? That blows my mind. Uh, so this is the 60s, mind you, right? And then um, uh, my father also, as this is going on, made enough money, brought my mom here, uh, and they started to um, raise a family, had uh, first child, which is my older brother. But also along this time, my father had connections to the Bollywood industry in India. And uh, what he did is he um, uh, worked with his connections to bring a top star at that time, his name was Koshor Kumar, uh, very, very reputable singer. I uh, totally know who that is. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, if you're a Bollywood historian Can and you a a fan, no, that's <laughs> not gonna happen, not gonna happen. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's like one of the uh, most famous singers in, in Bollywood history. 
<clears throat> so my, my father brought him over and, and essentially my father was one of the pioneers in the uh, uh, concert businesses, uh, especially from a Bollywood perspective. And uh, that then led to concerts every year and, and uh, my father became the international producer bringing in uh, uh, a group of a tour to uh, go around the world. And these are Bollywood concerts. So if anybody knows about Bollywood, Bollywood is the Indian version of Hollywood. Bombay being the B, Bollywood. And, it's Bollywood, uh, but even more extra. Yeah, so the extra is uh, almost every single movie is a musical. And so in the movie, there are dancing and singing and acts. And it's usually guy finds girl, girl gets kidnapped, guy learns how to fight, goes and gets kid girl back, guy and girl get married, and it's all song and dance. Um, amazing. Amazing. That's like every single movie is that way. That's the script but, for most like cultural kind of movies nowadays, yeah. right? Like we look into like Asian dramas and stuff like that, it's, it's the same line. Yeah, <laughs> scripts work. I got, I got tons of stories around this stuff. Like, like my, my, my father brought... <laughs> no, my We're going to do an entertainment episode. My, my father brought a bunch of... Like, fast forwarding here, but... Um, um, uh, so I'll go back. So yeah, so uh, what he ended up doing was putting together these concert tours, which was really movie stars, not singers, that were the the main act coming in and doing on stage live performance, recreating the dancing scenes and the uh, theatrical scenes from those movies. And you had the actual singers that sang those songs off stage singing. So the actors are on stage lip syncing and oh, doing cool. theatrical experiences oh. and stuff. So it's like it's yeah, so it's like seeing um, uh, Johnny Depp and um, Orlando Bloom recreating the scene from Pirates of the Caribbean while they're singing. If it was a musical, yeah. while they're singing, but they're not actually singing, but they're recreating the scene on stage. Yeah, so it's, it's awesome. a theatrical experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's elaborate costumes, set changes, and whatnot. And what a lot of people don't know is that uh, when you go to any major concert today, you're seeing like. Go to Britney Spears. She's changing outfits like twenty times. You're mm -hmm. going. To, you're seeing this, the huge set displays. Mm -hmm. That never happened before. It was really singer artist comes up with a guitar or a mic and they're just rocking away and, yeah. and drinking beers and whatever on stage and that's the show. All this theatric that came through, in my opinion, I think it actually happened, had a lot to do with what we were doing. So my mm -hmm. father was a pioneer in, in this stuff because nobody else is doing this. And we did we did shows all over the U.S., all over uh, the U.K. And I remember one year, uh, it was kind of a big deal. I was like maybe seven or eight. Madonna came to the concert in L.A. And I think uh, Jan Jackson came to one as well. Then the next year, you see Madonna's got this big elaborate stage. Jan Jackson's doing multiple uh, set changes, costume changes. So no way to tell if this is accurate but I think a lot of the stuff that we were doing in these concert tours had a major influence yeah. in what uh, you see in concerts today and so my father ran these con con uh, concerts around the world and as my brother and I grew up grew up we ended up being the ones running the conference concerts in Vancouver while my father managed the uh, international tours and so I'm like a 14 year old kid running around selling tickets. Here's a funny story. My father, like running Bollywood concerts is very different than North American concerts because you have to tell, sell tickets in the community. And so you, we'd sell tickets at, uh, uh, through Ticketmaster, we get the tickets, we take them to grocery stores or video stores in the Indian community and they'd be on display and for sale in the stores. And it's all cash. And so 
my father would have to go to the stores, drop tickets off, pick up all the cash from what was sold, and, and take it home, and then go deposit in the bank and, and run it that way. But my father would always take me along with them, uh, and then uh, he'd always have me carrying the briefcase. And those times where I was like a nine, ten, maybe twelve-year-old kid, this is concerts every couple of years where. I'm walking around with like three, four hundred thousand dollars in a briefcase, and my father's just walking along in front of me. I'm walking behind him, and 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 people are oblivious. And and as I got older, I was like, Dad, you do realize like you're you're trusting me with all this money. It's like, look, people know I'm the promoter. If I'm walking around the briefcase, they're gonna know that there's probably something of value in there, and they're gonna try to rob me. They look at you holding the briefcase. They're gonna think, "Oh, it's just a bunch of papers. Why would he let his son hold three, four hundred thousand dollars in a briefcase?" That's amazing. And so, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was, uh, I got a lot of lessons in entrepreneurship from my father at a very early age because I just grew up around it and saw the hustle. Like we were putting up movie posters or concert posters in mm-hmm. doors and windows in the middle of the night and, and uh, hustling just to get a few handfuls of sales and. Do you think there's a specific skill set that your father had, or, or that you know you're seeing entrepreneurship today? Like, yeah, no, it's 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 it, it's the the drive and motivation of an entrepreneur. You got to just hustle. You got to do what you got to do. It's our mandate. This is why like get shit done isn't just uh, a thing that we put on our t-shirts and on our posters. It's the true uh, epitome of of what an entrepreneur needs to do at an early stage. You just have to get shit done. You gotta roll up your sleeves and, and make things happen because nobody else is gonna do it for you. Um, and, and that's what my father was was doing. Like he had this PhD degree in, in chemistry, but he, he, there's nothing he could do. And so like my father was uh, also doing construction. So driving a taxi, uh, he worked at a steel mill and then got injured at the steel mill and uh, for, I forgot why the reason was, but they wouldn't hire him back and he couldn't work in the steel mill again. And then uh, he bought a piece of land and he uh, uh, started building houses. And my summer, my, my summers as a kid was either I'm walking around construction sites, uh, working on the construction sites, stepping on two by fours with nails on them and getting nails on my feet, oh. or um, uh, running around backstage at a Bollywood concert. And so growing up, I was just always around different uh, business activities that my father was doing. And then we also ended up buying a, um, uh, a party with my uncle to do a store fixture business. So uh, we ended up having one of the more predominant store fixture businesses in the lower mainland. Store fixtures being if you ever go to a store to buy clothing, the shelves, the uh, boards, the glass displays, mm-hmm. everything that you see products being uh, featured in, we made those and we supplied those. So somehow all of this still motivate you to, to like be your own entrepreneur after? Because I know that when you experience all these things, you also see how hard it is yeah. and the stress level yeah, and the like, hustle. I'm good. You did and that. The, I'm, I'm gonna yeah, like my family, my family, people look at me and say, oh, you're, 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 you're born rich. Like, no, my father came with seven bucks. My father hustled his way up, made a lot of money. And then in the 80s, like we owned a lot of, we owned real estate, we were building houses. But uh, people that are old enough remember that there was this massive mm-hmm. uh, real estate correction and everything crashed and the market crashed, basically bankrupting my family and we had to start all over again. And then uh, same thing happened in the 90s, started building our way up. We were doing a concert and um, uh, had a lot of money invested in this concert and uh, the, the biggest star, her husband committed suicide. And this was on the plane leaving India and we had to cancel the entire tour. 
and that's a even though uh, there's insurance and whatnot, it was a huge financial hit yeah. to our family. And we're back to being broke again. Yeah. And uh, it's a roller coaster. We had to hustle our way back up again. So yeah, yeah, just again get you done. Like nobody else is gonna do it mm -hmm. for you. Like when you have those type of ups and downs. Um, uh, you enjoy the ups, but realize that there's going to be a down again. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the question was, but <laughs> but but family. like <laughs> but like I mean, going from that because I think even if you decided you're going to be an entrepreneur, there's a couple of routes you could go. You could you know continue working at a construction company, run that. You could have you know started your show production company. I mean, you have these experiences. It's it's your comfort zone. It's what you know. Yeah. How do you transition and why did you transition to something, you know, relatively obscure at the time, like from your perspective anyway, is, which is tech? So again, this is a very long story, but um, <laughs> I'll rewind a bit. So I was never going to be an entrepreneur. When I was in high school, um, my goal was to be a or neurosurgeon. I was fascinated with the brain. I wanted to become a neurosurgeon. Uh, I was in honors math, honors science. Um, Long story short, I, would, I, I skipped a lot, partied a lot, um, still got good grades, but uh, being the smart ass that I was, I started doing the calculations of if I really wanted to be a uh, top world neurosurgeon, how many years of schooling did I need? And it was like another 10 years after high school. That was your mistake. You did the calculations. Yeah. And I was like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, screw that. I'm not going to do that. And then in grade 10, I, or yeah, grade 10, I took entrepreneurship and I started liking it in grade 11, um, took more business classes. In grade 12, I was uh, one of three students that was selected to run the school store. And so I was basically oh, managing cool. the school store. And uh, went to BCIT, took small business, the entre entrepreneurship course. But I kind of decided like, hey, like, I don't really want to run my own business. Uh, I got a job offer from HSBC, the marketing department. I was kind of set to take that that offer, uh, and um, my dad said, "Hey, this is a great offer. You should give it some serious thought." But uh, one thing I want to make sure you understand is that when you're working for somebody else, you are helping them execute on their vision and their dream, whether it's a big corporation or not. You're helping somebody else achieve their dreams. Now, that might line up with your dreams and and what you want as objectives, uh, but make sure you're clear about that. Uh, whereas you can work for yourself and be the control of your own destiny. It's never a, a straight line to success. It's always ups and downs, but uh, at least you're focusing on your dreams and making your dreams happen. And that stuck with me and I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. We'll do entrepreneurship. And that's when I ended up looking at trying to buy a franchise and going down uh, mm -hmm. the whole Dairy Queen route and uh, working in restaurants. But the tech thing came from uh, so I owned the Dairy Queen franchise in Richmond, British Columbia, and uh, most of my business came from the other businesses around us. Being a fast food franchise and a Dairy Queen, uh, the, the biggest profit margin items for us were our, our cakes, but also because we're close to all these offices, big large bulk orders for food for lunchtime and, and dinner time after work. And so. Uh, Again, as I was going through the process, I, I come to the realization that the only way to make money in franchise system is to have multiple franchises. And so I uh, ended up uh, building another Dairy Queen franchise from the ground up in downtown Vancouver. The reason for downtown Vancouver is because, again, I did the math. There was so much revenue coming in from the other businesses, from my one in Richmond. If I put myself downtown, guess what? I'm surrounded by nothing but businesses. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do amazingly well. 
But I also came to the realization that my one in Richmond had a drive-through. Everybody had cars. They were, it was very accessible. But the ones downtown, well, these are all people in walking distance, and I can't expect everybody to walk to the restaurant. But if I can sell one ice cream cake to each office tower every single day in downtown Vancouver, because there's got to be at least one person having a birthday or one person leaving or have an anniversary in each office tower in downtown, I'm going to do okay. Now, how do I make that happen? And so uh, I came up with this idea. It's like, okay, if I have a website, this is 2002. It was very, very early. They had GeoCities. Yeah. So if I, if I, if, if I had uh, the ability to let people order an ice cream cake online, um, give me all the instructions online and uh, have it come to the store and I can get a courier to pick it up and take it to their office, solves a problem. And one of my friends, he was uh, building BlackBerry apps at the time. Uh, so he was a developer and I said, hey, do you mind helping me do this? He said, sure, um, I'll do it if you let me use your store for an experiment. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. So what we ended up doing was creating this online website. People were able to place their orders. Uh, and the, the way it was, it was jury rigged was they place their order, it comes in as an email, but at the same time, it comes in as a fax to the store. And so it was printed out, the staff got it, there was instructions on there when they needed it. Staff calls a courier. Courier comes and pick up the cake thirty minutes, or picks up the cake and has to deliver it within thirty minutes because it's ice cream. It's gonna melt, uh, uh, and so uh, we basically were doing what Uber Eats, Fedora does today. Back in two thousand two, I was doing on-demand delivery and With uh, ordering. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so it was all jury-rigged to to work off a fax machine, and. Um, uh, it worked and, and Dairy Queen took notice and they tried to shut me down saying oh yeah you can't do it like that I'm like why I've got no restrictions on jurisdiction if somebody wants yeah. to order a cake and, and I get a courier to pick it up and now you look at 2018 they've got their own dqcakes.com which is uh, like I had Richmond DQ and Canby DQ as, as or Demon DQ as my URLs um, so I think I definitely pissed off a bunch of people because I was smarter than than them and uh, taking their marketing jobs from them. Uh, But uh, the funny thing though is, so my friend that wanted to use my store as an experiment exchange, um, what he did, he ended up rigging the entire store with uh, Bluetooth nodes. Again, 2002, this was way before iPhone, there was Blackberry, Nokia, Samsung, Sony, Ericsson. And uh, what we started doing was he was pushing coupons to people's cell phones in the store while they're in line to get uh, products. And it was all done through the Bluetooth hotspot, so there's no data charges. Again, people that are old enough will realize that back then, if you wanted to put like download a picture onto your phone, uh, because of the data charges from TELUS, Rogers, and Bell, a simple, small, three megabyte phone uh, picture would- Three megabyte, you wish. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Like, like couple kilobytes. Yeah, yeah, and so that would cost uh, oh, sorry, no, meg- megabytes is a different story. The th- couple of kilobits that would cost at least like 15 bucks. Yeah. Um, Edge. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but crazy. because you're using Bluetooth, there was no charge because yep. it's all interconnected. And so when he showed me what he was doing and I saw it in action, it just blew my mind. I'm like, wow, I can actually influence the people in line to buy something before they actually get to the front of the register, meaning that I can probably speed up the, the customer flow tenfold at least and start to direct them and pivot them towards specific products that I want to move off my shelves because I might be 
overstocked on chocolate syrup and I need to get more peanut butter parfaits out of the, out of the door. Uh, actually, that would have been hot fudge. I got to correct myself there. No, I know my DQ. Um, <laughs> really falling off the track. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so it just blew my mind and then long story short there is that uh, we ended up creating a new startup 2002 we joined the new ventures BC it was back then it was called a TELUS new ventures BC startup or a competition and uh, essentially got laughed off stage people told us nobody wants pictures and images on their phones text is like probably the most they'll do but it's all about voice and we're like dumbfounded because we modeled this all after NT Docomo out of Japan and stuff that we saw happening via text message marketing in, in Germany and stuff. And so we're like, no, yeah, no, we're gonna write when you can talk. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, so we kept 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 at it. And uh, fast forward to 2007, we had progressed enough that we were actually pushing movie trailers, game trailers, and music videos to people's cell phones using Bluetooth. And so again, three megabit videos. Uh, a music video would have cost probably 30 to 40 dollars in data charges and uh, we were able to save that because it was, it was, it was Bluetooth so it was zero dollars and so we had this deal uh, we worked with uh, Sony Music uh, worked out with Sony Music and HMV where we were going to equip HMV with all these hotspots and we could actually control what type of content you receive based on the aisle that you're in so if you're in the movie aisle uh, looking at DVDs, you could actually watch a movie trailer before you buy the DVD on your cell phone. Again, there's no iPhones, no touchscreen. This is mm. off of Nokia's, off of Blackberries and stuff. There's all these technical challenges of pairing with the phone and getting it all sorted out. But we'd solved all that. It was all you just walk up to a poster, touch your, tap your phone, and it automatically pairs. Uh, and then if you're in the music aisle, you just watch a music video before you buy the CD. If you're in the game aisle, you watch the game trailer before you buy, buy the so game. You successfully created spam. Pretty much. Spam master. <laughs> no, it wasn't spam. You you had choice. You, you had, had to value. download it. You, it wasn't automatically sent to you. <laughs> yeah. You had you you could actually see the list of stuff and download it and watch it. Um, and so we I sold my restaurants to focus on uh, tech. I've done the restaurants for ten years. I was kind of at the end of my um, desire and motivation to stay in the restaurant business. And tech was just blowing my mind. And I wanted to pursue tech. So 2008, sold my restaurants, focused on that. Uh, 2008, another big correction and crash happened that everybody who's in tech probably knows about. And uh, that company went bye-bye. First one to move was HMV and said, sorry, there's no way we're spending any dollars on yeah. something. Shout out to HMV. <laughs> Anything <way>. like this. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they, they kind of went away as well. Uh, and then Sony said, look, we, we're happy to keep giving you content, but you got to find your own distribution channel and uh, end up shutting that startup down. So and put a lot of money into that stuff, but startup life, things failed. Yeah. And uh, I ended up taking a sabbatical, went around the world, went to uh, Mobile World Congress, something yeah. you're very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, uh, iPhone came out that year and I bought an iPhone and I ended up building apps for iPhones. First one was uh, a Magic 8-Ball app, so I, obviously with the um, gyroscope, you shake the phone and it'll tell you, uh, you, you ask it a question and be like, the answer is likely, or you're shit out of luck. Like, I had yeah. some bunch of funny little <laughs> phrases to it. You had a developer though, right? Uh, so I designed it like on paper, and I just mocked yeah. it up, and then I sent it to a development team out of yeah. India. Uh, but I was actually trying to teach myself how to code, so I was actually uh, uh, debugging a bunch of their code for them. That's just how because I that I same year is the first year I dabbled in anything tech, because 
I had gotten my hands on an iPhone and I spent like months trying to figure out how to unlock it. Once I figured out how to unlock it, other people wanted me to unlock it for them. So I was sitting on my little little PowerBook there. It wasn't even a MacBook, it was called PowerBook. Um, and typing you, in this code that I don't understand yeah. um, in terminal. Because you knew it actually, it would do something. Yeah, if I do, do this something. and this, yeah. it's gonna do this. Right? I don't understand the logic behind it, but if I press this button, you're, you can use your phone on Rogers or Bell or whatever from instead of AT&T. So that's, that's my yeah. first tech entrepreneur And, and you, were, you were that, that go-to Asian guy that everybody yeah. had, saying, like, oh, yeah. oh, this guy lock, unlocked my phone. It's yeah. gonna cost you 200 bucks though. Yeah, right? and I remember like you probably made a you probably made a, a killing too. I, I, I was sitting up at SFU at SFU too. Uh, yeah, I don't even use my own Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, that's so, there you go. But that's, secret that's going around campus. Yeah, it's the Asian guy in the cubicle <laughs> next to the window by the uh, biology books. I was sweating buckets. Bring cash. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to your yeah. story. Young entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> the hustle, hustle has got to always be there. A funny story about young entrepreneurs. My first. My brother first went away to university. We were doing high school together in Victoria, and then he went away and we were two years apart. So he went to Concordia. And so that was the first time we were sort of like apart for a long period of time. And I remember calling him being like, how's university? Like he had been there for like three weeks. Um, and he was like, amazing. Um, I found a side hustle and I was like, what? No, like what are you are you selling drugs like no <laughs> he was like no i found a guy who can replicate textbooks like print them and make them into like the binded like paper and he's like so i'm printing textbooks and selling them for half price because <laughs> textbooks in university are like 400 dollars a book sometimes and i'm like stop no no more <laughs> your your entrepreneurial side is not good we're gonna just <laughs> yeah there's definitely some gray areas when it comes to yes. entrepreneurship as you learn and figure things out and, uh, you're and like, i feel like everybody hey, on I got the team this. has this kind of story i don't want to like, talk yeah. about alex's story anymore but, <laughs> but let's let's we've been digressing for like a half Shout hour out to so. jordan for your one ounce of entrepreneurial <laughs> Like your your entrepreneurial dreams are crushed by Sade. It's like no, you are not doing that. Maybe she, he, he keeps watching this podcast to learn a thing. But like, let's, let's move on because we've been digressing for half an hour. Like, how do we get to Launch Academy? Like, how did it get started? And we've heard Alex's side of the story of how he joined as a member. Um, but where, what about you? And I know this story has to do with drinks also. This is why. I, <laughs> so again, these are all long stories, but uh, <laughs> because yeah, I never do anything the easy way, and and it always takes a lot of persuading for me to actually commit to doing stuff but uh, what had happened was so again 2008 I crashed um, and took a sabbatical went around the world uh, started playing around these iPhone apps created an iPhone app called iWardrobe so anybody that out there that watched the movie Clueless remember Cher's closet and so again from the gesture motion uh, technology on the iPhone what we did was we created a way for women or men to take pictures of all their clothes and um, in their closet and have it categorized as you have hats at the top, uh, accessories, and you got your shirts, you got your bottoms, and you got your shoes, and you can swipe left and right on different items to mix and match outfits. Built the app called iWardrobe. It got uh, 10,000 downloads um, within the first month. I got featured in some fashion magazines, and I was like, hey, this is an actual opportunity here. And this is, again, this was 2009, yep. I believe, right? Actually, no, that was in 2010, 2009, when all the games that I started making came out. And then um, I realized, okay, well, there's some real potential here. And uh, I ended up converting it into a Facebook app uh, because I thought, okay, if I can tie into um, 
products that are available for sale online and e-commerce sites. I can get affiliate income. I can start monetizing this. And what happened there was it became like a little um, uh, drop pad where you can drag and drop your clothes and mix and match. But because it's Facebook, you actually go into your friend's closet and go borrow one of your friend's shoes and see how that looks like oh, with your cool. outfit. And then you'd have the stream of stuff that's avail available for sale online. You take the picture of the item online and see, okay, well, if I buy this skirt, how many different outfits can I make with make up make with it with the mm -hmm. stuff that I already have in my closet? And that's how it be monetized. And as I started going through that process, um, uh, build this whole new startup and new team, start form around it, and um, uh, fast forward, start focusing back on the mobile experience and taking pictures of stuff while you're in store and populating into your closet and whatnot. In 2011, um, uh, team was starting to come together and I wanted to get out of my basement and work in the community again and get connected. Uh, there's a place called Boot Up Garage. Boot Up Labs was the first accelerator in Vancouver, started by Boris Wirtz and Leonard Brody and Jason Bailey from uh, Eastside Games for rewards. All very accomplished entrepreneurs had their big exits and, and uh, angel investors. Uh, Boris Wirtz today is probably one of the top VCs in Canada and um, uh, partnered with Andreessen Horowitz, a mentor of mine, somebody I really look up to and he was part of this group and I'm like, oh yeah, why would I not want to be there? And um, uh, Boot Up Garage was the nonprofit arm of it where they were just creating a community space because they had excess space. Uh, Boot Up Garage or Boot Up Labs for the whatever reason the model didn't work out and there were some issues and that ended up shutting down. It was just the garage and the garage ended up shutting down in three months. So from January to March I was in the garage and then it shut down and go back to uh, I worked out of my basement and my other friends that were there kind of all went to coffee shops or other places. Fast forward to September, I got accepted into Wavefront, uh, uh, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, the team was excited, saying, oh, we're, we got into Accelerator, we're, this is gonna be awesome and amazing. And uh, again, this is 2011, things were very different back then. And uh, we were basing everything off of what we read about Accelerators in Silicon Valley and, and whatnot. And as we got in there, went into Wavefront and it was cubicles. It was very corporate. It was very bland and, and not the vibrant experience that we were expecting. Quiet. Very quiet. This is where I met Sam for the first yeah. time. He was the only cool person there, other than Vivian, that and we could. Never showed up. And yeah, he showed up there once every couple weeks. <laughs> and uh, at least I had a nice view. I had a nice cubicle yeah, by the window. Nice. Some cool guys working behind me, but everyone was like in closed door offices, and it was never really communal and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, so December rolls around 2011 and Jesse Heaslip, who's part of the garage, sent out an email to everybody that was in the garage Google group. And uh, the email said, hey, I'm sick and tired of working at coffee shops. Anybody want to help me get the garage off the, off the ground again? And I'm sitting in a cubicle like, yeah, I, I want to help. Yeah. Uh, and then Roger Patterson, who's another member of the garage, was sitting in another co-working space saying, yeah, this is definitely not the same vibe that we had at the garage. I want to help. And um, uh, nobody else replied. So the three of us went to Steamworks um, in Gastown, Vancouver, and we're having beers and think, saying, okay, how, how do we want to go about this? What do we want to do? So, hey, well, let's practice what we preach. We're all about lean methodology. Let's take a, a let's have a beer meetup and see uh, what the community thinks and if anybody's willing to put a deposit down on desk. Uh, Rizwan from... Uh, 
uh, NRC IREP. He he knows all three of us from the community as, as an IREP rep. Came was walking by at Steamworks and he's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? This doesn't look." cool like three separate entrepreneurs you're scheming on something and we're like oh we're thinking about getting the garage off the ground off the ground he's like oh hey i'd love to help like you guys get off the ground we'll, we'll give you some some money and, and support that and we're like oh sweet okay we, we if we can get to make this happen we can actually get some government money and, and uh, see where we can take this now mind you all three of us are still building our own businesses and, and this was just like a side gig side hustle just to get ourselves in an environment where we we're able to uh, um, connect with each other and, and motivate each other and, and tap into each other's networks and, and whatnot. And so um, we had this beer meetup at a bar called Kaylee's and uh, uh, about 40, 50 people showed up and it was just like any other startup meetup. It was beers, networking and talk about the hustle and whatnot. So Jesse, Roger and I got up on stage and said, hey, thanks for coming out. Uh, we, we wanted to see what the interest is in, in, this, in the community of seeing a space like this uh, put together again and, and who'd be willing to support it and, and want a space in there. That's what, 30, 40 hands in the air. Well, okay, well, who's willing to put a $100 deposit down today on a desk? There's still about 20 hands in there. We're like, hey, that's not bad. That's uh, 2000 bucks. Let's go for it. And uh, we never actually collected the cash. We just made people give us their verbal commitments that they do it always take the cash <laughs> and uh, so then we started looking for space and seeing okay let's see what we can do we'll, we'll, we're smart guys we can make this happen and uh, um, at the same time Mike Edwards who was uh, uh, part of the Google group but he wasn't there to build a startup he was there because he exited his company and he was trying to get back in the community and learn about the ecosystem so that he can become an angel investor start making investments he had come on board. He was also one of the founders of Grow Labs. Grow Lab was a, the reincarnation of uh, Boot Up Labs. So the same group of founders came together, they, uh, set it up uh, in a different way, and uh, uh, created Grow Labs. And Grow Lab was ex in existence for a year prior to that. And um, uh, we're fast forward now. So this is about February 2012. Mike emails us and says, um, Hey, I've got the space for Grow Lab. It's empty for the next three months. What do you guys think about just using this space as uh, the new garage and see if, if you can get it off the ground? And we're like, uh, how much is it going to cost? He's like, nothing, nothing. I can give it to you free. It's already sitting empty. We're like, okay, yeah, we're not going to say no to that. Free space, sweet. And uh, there was about 12 desks there. So this is a whole story of 12, 12, 12, 12. So we started in 2012 with just 12 desks. We filled them up in two weeks, took that money to Ikea, went to Ikea. So we charged 200 bucks a desk. We had 2,400 bucks. We went to Ikea, bought 12 more desks, filled out that space with 30 some odd companies. And then uh, fast forward 12 months later, we had over 12,000 square feet filled uh, here in the new home of Launch County with startups. Does that answer your question? Yeah. There's a lot more to it in between. Uh, this is a major history yeah. lesson for, I think, a lot of you guys who are listening to this, mm -hmm. watching this. Um, maybe you've done two, three startups, something like that. Maybe you've just come to Vancouver and stuff like that. There's a lot of history in here. And the only reason I let him ramble because he, he's because it's my boss. <laughs> but no, really, I, th I think it's important that, that yeah. you know, Vancouver has its own heritage. Not all of it is about Ray. In fact, most of it, Ray was just kind of lingering around. Um, but, but like there is a history of tech mm -hmm. that I think people aren't recognizing here. And when we get up on stage at a traction conference, something that always kind of is in the back of my mind is, is where we started from, not necessarily yeah. you or me or anybody else, but Vancouver tech itself, right? Like 
six years ago, would we get the CTO of Reddit hanging out yeah. with with us? It'd be it'd probably be at Steamworks, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just <clears throat> knowing where you're coming from, not necessarily is is all about being historical, but it, I think it makes you appreciate what we have now and what we're building towards the future mm-hmm. just that much more. And um, a great time to talk about it because I mean we exactly we're now six years old and we we're old. there's waves of change and we're going through one right now with Launch yeah. Academy yeah. six point um, we can chat a bit about it. Yeah, and, and this this is the internal joke. Like it's launched by six Launch Academy six is because Alex and I from day one have kind of been reinventing what Launch Academy is every single mm-hmm. month, and so Alex has like re- redrawn the logo like seven different yeah. times and and uh, agile. <laughs> the internal joke between him and myself is always like all right which version are we on today oh it's 2.0 that's 3.0 4.0 <laughs> 4.0 and the the model and, and the business has changed over time for multiple reasons one is the the ecosystem around us changed and we need to adapt mm-hmm. and, and address things accordingly but the team has changed the team has evolved and and uh uh Again, when it was just myself and Alex, like there's only so much two people can do. And then uh, once Sam came on board, that, okay, we feel a lot more stable. We can actually offer more uh, structured programming. And then um, now that uh, the, where the team is today with the Sade helping me with ops and, and really leading the community and uh, Olana taking on the reins on all events and, and marketing and then Kelsey coming in to do business development, uh, we're able to do so much more and um, uh, uh, really change the type of the business that we can bring to the market mm-hmm. so what what do you hope and i get asked this question a lot so it's probably easier to just have it recorded what do you hope launch academy and its legacy will be like what what's the point of all this because you know we said from day one because you roger uh jesse all of you guys alex as well all of you guys are working on your own businesses and the story that i've always told is you know you guys are going to become successful with your businesses so launch academy was always a side of the desk thing that's why we set it as a nonprofit. Um, but what what do you hope, like you know, years from now, what do you what do you think that legacy of Launch Academy, not necessarily yourself, should be? Uh, well, there's a bunch of jokes I can crack right now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> to take the serious route, route, really, Launch Academy, we set it up as a nonprofit for multiple reasons. One was uh, to try to get access to government funding. Unfortunately, that that, that never quite uh, materialized the way that we hoped it would knock on wood that it changes soon but um, the other reason was like we wanted people to understand that we're not here to con you out of uh, uh, your basement to give us give up equity to us like we're a nonprofit we're not taking equity what you really want you to do is get out of your damn basement and start talking connecting with other entrepreneurs because the only way you're gonna really s- prove yourself and get your company to that next stage is, is get out there and talk about your startup and, and start getting shit done um, and so Launch Camp is always designed to be that nucleus, uh, that opportunity for people to connect with each other, to break out of their bubbles, break out of their shells, cross collaborate, cross pollinate ideas, and um, uh, it then grew into the the nucleus for the community. As as investors, both Mike and I knew that whenever you walk into any other um, uh, ecosystem, there's always some sort of entity that you can go to that can get you instantly connected to the community. Whether it's events happening there on a regular basis, whether it's uh, connecting you to influencers, advisors, mentors, um, uh, you, you go to any market there's something like that, but those never anything like that in, in Vancouver. And so we built out Launch Academy to be that space. Um, so moving forward, like we, we really want to see Launch Academy to be 
that nucleus for the community to be able to help entrepreneurs uh, and now more importantly being that uh, launch pad for Canadian entrepreneurs but also that landing pad for international entrepreneurs that want to move their company and business here and so it, it seems like uh, a bit of chaos uh, on the outside but there's always a rhyme or reason why we're doing things here and why we're structuring things it's just we're thinking two or three steps ahead of where we want the ecosystem to be and so another long story I'm going to try to make short is is I strongly feel that there's huge opportunities and potential for Vancouver but we're up we're going to come up to a few difficult years here where you've got um, uh, a lot of companies starting to make headway and a lot of opportunities starting to pop around but talent is short supply and you've got uh, big organizations and, and that are coming into town like Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Salesforce, uh, Sony and, and whatnot that are hiring up talent, sucking up talent. All good reasons, all good things. I think it's awesome that's happening. It's going to force some zombie companies to shut down. Zombie companies being companies that are struggling along that shouldn't be moving forward. They should kill themselves mm -hmm. and shut down and, and, and release, uh, the talent. release the talent so they can go do other things or free that entrepreneur up and so let that entrepreneur either go back to the workforce or try something new but uh, uh, it's gonna also suck talent out of companies that are doing really well and uh, make it harder for them to hire other people um, but the flip side of that it's gonna suck in people from other provinces it's gonna mm -hmm. suck in people from other countries uh, and so it will naturally start to build up the uh, talent base, but more importantly, it will naturally start to build up the uh, income levels because yeah. as much as everybody says Vancouver is so expensive and, and whatnot, relatively speaking, to look at any other major city in the world, you're, you are on par with costs of living in other places. The challenge you have is that the medium income here is too low. You can't sustain yourself in, in that type of environment with such a low income. And so when you have people like Microsoft and Amazon increasing the salaries and, and forcing uh, the startups and, and uh, other growth stage companies in the space to start leveling up their offerings of how much they're willing to pay people, uh, you're naturally going to bring that um, income level up. It's not happening as fast as everybody wants yeah. it to, but you can't have this rapid growth because that's just going to disrupt the entire market. But that being said, companies of the same uh, potential and, and nature that are now struggling to meet those salary demands that same type of company in Austin or in San Francisco or New York would have raised capital from VCs with that in mind. Like, hey, okay, it's yeah. gonna cost me $120,000 for an engineer, whereas the company in Vancouver said, okay, it's gonna cost me $80,000 for an engineer, so yeah. I only need to raise two million as opposed to three or four million. Yeah. Whereas the, the new status Exactly, whereas the other companies in these other markets would have raised four million because that's the cost of them to execute against that plan. And investors have no problem putting that money in as well, they can justify why you're doing it. And so the, the Canadian companies in Vancouver are going to start to raise more money because they need to and the VCs will be fine with that because they need to pay higher salaries to get the talent that they want. So naturally you're going to see the income level start to go up. But that being said, the next two years you're, you're going to have less and less startups. You're going to have more like startups with potential struggling a little bit more. And this is a worldwide problem, it's not just Vancouver. But what's going to happen two years after that? is like, I don't know about you, but I don't really know many people that want to work at Microsoft, Amazon, Slack, or, or uh, Facebook for 10, 15 years. They want to work there for two, three years. Uh, and this is the norm in Silicon Valley. They'll, they'll turn over and they'll work for other startups and start to level themselves up, finally get to a position where they get some equity and whatnot. Yeah. 
But in order to do that, you have to have a very solid, strong startup ecosystem that can support that. And so if you're an engineer that comes out of Romania and you are working at Amazon on a global skills entry and you're, you're getting your visa and you, now you've got permanency and you're, you're playing foosball with somebody else uh, or playing uh, um, darts or whatever and um, throwing ideas back and forth and you spark a new idea, you're going to germinate that idea and start playing with it. But once that idea actually has legs and you're going to go build a startup, you're going to quit your job at Amazon and go build a startup. If that support system, that ecosystem, such as LaunchCami, does not exist three, four years from now, those people are not going to stay in Vancouver. They're going to go to Seattle. They're going to go to Portland. They're going to go to wherever that market that gives them the resources to be able to execute on that idea and vision is. And so that's why it's important for environments like LaunchCami to stick around and be supported, even during, during these times where everybody's trying to focus on these growth stage companies, help them get to the next levels. If you're not focusing on the foundation that's underneath and let it crumble, uh, the future is not going to be right. You don't need to yeah. be ready for that next wave of entrepreneurs. And yeah, and it's a patience game, right? Like it is very much like very token by now. Like entrepreneurship itself, the ecosystem to, down to the company is very much a marathon. Yeah. Um, I think it was Brad Feld who said like a startup community takes twenty years to culminate. Yep. So you know when you start, I don't know if you realize you're signing on for at least twenty years. Oh but, fuck! Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, well, no, I'm I have to put I, explicit on this podcast. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm handing it over to Alex. So, Alex, as I as I dwindle away and, and die in the next five years, it's Alex, Alex years. inherits this, and he's got to take over. And then it, and then it goes to Sam. Oh no! And and maybe Sam. maybe Sade one day, if you prove yourself, you actually listen to or read your Slack messages, you might be able <laughs> to get in that queue. Right. Um, but uh, one thing I wanted to say though, is, and that's. One of the reasons why Launch Academy 6.0 is what it is, is because we recognize that there's this uh, challenge of, of companies in Vancouver are going to struggle, but there's a lot of talent that wants to break into North America, and there's no better place than Vancouver, but we're targeting companies that already have product market fit, they already have revenues, they are already prepared to be paying those type of salaries because they were looking at relocating to either to SF or to Paris or to London or to Germany or Berlin, wherever. And so they're properly funded to support this type of salary. So when they come here, their, their cap table, or sorry, their budgets already allocate for salaries of that nature. And so it's not as a significant hit to them. Uh, there's a lot more, more to this. And, and I, I know there's arguments on both sides, but for us, that's our thesis. That if we can bring in strong, successful companies into North America or into Vancouver to access the North American market, not only are we going to stem that tide of, well, you've got this talent being sucked out by Amazon and what happens to the startup community, well, we're injecting new yeah. talent, new startups, uh, new opportunities. Um, but as you get into two, three, four years from now, guess what? Those companies are now uh, germinating other people that want to get out and start their thing. Yeah. And, and it, really starts to build a healthy ecosystem it's kombucha yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> you're fermenting we're fermenting, we're fermenting entrepreneurs that's that's a new, new one. <laughs> startup ecosystem launch academy kombucha. 7.0 kombucha condition and, it, and it's funny we say this because and i and i didn't plan this out but it's just the way things have happened one of the companies that we've brought in literally right now as we speak are conducting interviews in the room right behind us and that's why i'm keeping the volume low because mm -hmm. they're they're creating canadian jobs and this is, this yeah. is happening as we speak. Yeah. That, that blew us away. Like, we look at a lot of other startup visa programs that are working with entrepreneurs. A lot of them are early stage entrepreneurs that are just trying to get their ideas together and they're getting funded and they're moving to the next steps. Whereas we're working with companies that are 
more than likely already have product market fit and they're uh, as they're coming into Canada as soon as they land here they're hiring right away they're uh, like Bloombase just came back or came three days ago from Hong Kong and they sponsored traction they were at the event they're networking and, and making business deals and diving right, right in. in so it's yeah. not like okay um, we still got to validate our idea it's like boom we're, we're, we know what we need to do we know we're executing yeah. let's start ramping up our talent and our team uh, and, and become part of the community and, and make and this our own it takes away that acclimation period for them coming to a place like launch academy where it's like okay you're here here's the deal this is how we're going to support you instead of figuring it all out on your own yeah. coming to a new place and that's where i think that like for us having the the launch pad for canadian companies early stage entrepreneurs like helping them understand how to find product market fit validate your idea get customer validation go through the cycles understand where to network what type of resources to tap into that's all there and then for the landing pad we don't really have to focus as much on is your idea great is your business good how do you move forward it's more about okay how do you find distribution channels how do you understand what the competitive landscape here in north america is compared to where you were before how do you um, understand the transitions of moving your ip but also moving your family yeah and and uh, understand the lay of the land of how do you uh, uh, optimize um, work-life balance in yeah. in Canada and all the way down right? to where do you eat lunch number one yeah. question <laughs> is is where do you find new customers that I get yeah. number two question is where do I put my kids in daycare yeah, yeah. those daycare. are my two yeah. most common questions these days but like I know we we spent you know a significant amount of time here so maybe I will just kind of end up and wrap up our our podcast before we get to the food um, with this question and, and I think it's kind of it's everything we've we've talked about for the last hour here and that's that is you know if your dad was moving to Canada today instead of in the 60s as an entrepreneur what do you, how do you think things would be different do you think you'd be a tech entrepreneur if my dad were to move to Canada, Canada today, today as a 70 year old man or <laughs> as, as he was uh, so the, the Vancouver landscape's changing quite a bit like Growing up, Vancouver has always been a small business environment just because there's not a lot of corporate offices here. Um, and I strongly believe like a lot of the good tech companies are built out of people that have uh, experienced firsthand challenges and problems or um, processes that are just not quite uh, efficient enough and, and are addressing those, those, those opportunities. And so the past 10 years or so, you've probably seen a lot of companies starting in Vancouver be more consumer focused because those are problems and challenges that people can uh, uh, relate to. Um, and that's starting to change now. We're starting to see a lot more corporate offices set up. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of these startups grow and, and people facing challenges like inside those startups around the processes of how they're executing on their business model and spinning out startups around that. So if he was to land in Vancouver, the landscape here would be very different than it was in the 60s. Uh, whereas he can start to explore, okay, maybe I will work at Amazon for the next two or three years and uh, get that name brand on my resume and get an opportunity to um, uh, meet other people and get connected and, and explore ideas. Or he might have, coming from India, been exposed to a lot of different tech, like India is just booming. Uh, most other parts of the world are really booming when it comes to tech. I think. 
one of the big misnomers is that uh, well we're in Canada or we're in the U.S. and so we're way ahead of everybody else. No, you're, no, you're not. Try Brazil. It's it's <laughs> things I've been are, there. Try <laughs> things are just flying so fast around the world that it's unreal. Uh, so coming from India, he probably would have been exposed to so many things. So more than likely, knowing his mentality, he would have been uh, secured funding back home, come back here, come here, and start executing on a yeah. business idea. Mm-hmm. And I think anything that's very much the lesson that we've talked about here is it's it's about timing, right? And and I don't like the startup visa program wasn't here five years ago. A lot of different resources weren't here five years ago. Now we got Express Entry. Like I just learned about Global Talents. Um, there's all these sorts of different immigration programs that that are now here. Um, but it, it's all about timing, right? But speaking of timing, it's really funny because something that that Ray and Shadi, you know, they know a little bit about is, is actually for the last six months in the beginning of 2018, we've had a lot of people trying to come into Launch Academy and I've had to turn away yeah. because, oh, because yeah. we were full. Brutal. Brutal. Because we were full. And that was, that was poor timing. But the timing is right now. So if any of this has resonated with you, if you want a piece of this community, I think here's the part where I'm supposed to do my job and plug that we are taking in new members for our Launchpad program. Mm-hmm. Um, We've been lucky enough to see some of our oldest uh, members graduate and move into their own office and expand their team um, quickly. And now we're ready for some new entrepreneurs, some baby yeah. entrepreneurs. And, and we, I've, I've chat, I've had many chats already. So it's like, it's the same thing, right? Like if you're if you're at a coffee shop listening to this, what are you doing there, dude? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I'm being more specific. But, but I mean, I think this is a good time to kind of wrap things up. I think the couple of, of different shout outs I have, I think we already mentioned before, shout out to Pick and Tick. Mm-hmm. Um, Pick and Tick, again, is one of, one of our, if not original members, very early on. Um, they just got acquired by Eventbrite. Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge, but um, also you, you had another one. Yeah, we've got one of our alumni, Serge Salager, so CEO of Retarget Links. He's actually the first Canadian startup to be accepted into um, Techstars, Techstars Asia. Asia in Singapore. So first ever Canadian yep. startup. That's so, pretty incredible. And Serge, Serge has been very uh, instrumental with uh, traction as well. We, we used his uh, services for many years to help mm-hmm. us uh, get the word out. And I saw him there last time. Yeah. 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 So it's awesome. So he's probably on his way to Singapore. Um, I but forgot to congratulate him in person. <laughs> this is a <laughs> It's been yeah. a long, long week, yeah. man. So uh, also, I, I think um, most importantly, I'd like to thank everyone that helped out with Traction, all of our volunteers, all of our sponsors. Um, our team is very lean, so we needed a lot of support from our sponsors and our volunteers, and we made it happen, and we've gone, uh, it's only been like, what, 10 hours, 12 hours since we left Traction, um, and we've already gotten so much good feedback, and uh, it's great to see that people enjoy themselves and we couldn't have done it without all the support that we got. Yeah, and it's very, everything we do, I think, has in our DNA, is very much a community in it, right? We can't do traction without volunteers. Mm-hmm. We can't run Launchpad, our program, without entrepreneurs actually contributing and adding yeah. value back to each other, right? They don't yeah. have to give it to me, but at least to each other. Same with Maple, and when we, when we take in every company, we vet it very carefully we have the community actually giving us say and saying like, hey, this, this person needs this kind of help, this person needs that kind of help, and they're actively saying like, I want to mentor this person when they come in, and that's, that, yeah. is, that is our lifeblood. Yeah. yeah. Any, any other shout outs for you from your part? 
Uh, yeah, shout out to Sam and Sade and Claire for first season of Lunch Academy. Yes. I'm pretty sure you guys confuse so many people with Lunch Academy and Lunch Academy. I can't pronounce it properly, so people just think we I'm just saying slurred. lunch. Yeah. We just yeah. slurred. So you're going to see Lunch Academy 2.0, rebranded as Lunch Academy. Lunch Academy. <laughs> uh, we'll but no, but you guys definitely have to, uh, gone through your ups and downs with this little project, and yeah. I'm happy Learning to see it, uh, it start to flourish and, and become something really meaningful, especially in Costa Rica. Here are yeah. Shout out to Shade's mom. <laughs> Can't forget that. Most of our viewers are out there in Costa Rica. And yeah. final is... shout out to Kopi for yeah. being Guess the, the funniest and little for all the emotional joy in, in the office. Yeah. Uh, if you are looking to apply to uh, Launchpad, you get extra bonus points if you have a dog. Yes. So. <laughs> Uh, you can note that are, in the section. We are a dog-friendly office, and we do enjoy having the four-legged buddies in, in and out of the office on a regular basis. Actually, yeah. he's using one of our tags from our alumni company. Actually, our member company. Startup Visa member company. Yep. So, also, if you want to test your products on Kobe. <laughs> Wait, it, it depends on what, type, what it, it is. depends on what type of product. If it involves food and do making, not, sure, making sure we never lose chemistry. him. No, do not feed the dogs without the owner's permission. <laughs> But, so just to wrap things up, I mean, if you're not already following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Launch Academy HQ, um, definitely subscribe to us on our podcast. This does wrap up our very first premiere season. We're going to go get some R&R, eat some fried chicken, maybe lose some weight after I eat some fried chicken. Um, We will be back for season two in the fall. Um, I think we're going to go and, you know, take all the things we've learned about wires yeah. and connecting switches and microphones and yeah. and all Less that Less technical crap. issues uh, and we're gonna get a nice little queue set up for having some good, and, good guests. And I wanna do more with food. I mean, everybody yeah. loves this food concept that we've we've uh, created. Um, Everyday Joe's eating weird things. Um, maybe that's <laughs> season two title. But because I know it has been a very long week, I was gonna torture you guys, um, but we'll save that for, for a rainy day. Um, Did so, you guys ever explain what was happening in the last one? The spicy ramen challenge? Yeah. We had a spicy ramen challenge all lined up and then we had a massive technical glitch that caused us to reschedule no for right now. So um, safe. But the, but, the, but the food was still there so we still ate it. You uh, ate it. I, yeah. I, there, was, yeah. there was some very troubling things happening behind the scenes. <laughs> I had already eaten like a big lunch before and I had to up my mouth full of spicy ramen <laughs> and Sam was the unlucky winner of the double, double spicy, spicy ramen we put bowl. two packets of spicy ramen in so tell one. us what you brought us today so what I brought us for today is is really some comfort food we've all had a long week um, and actually shout out to Alana one last one yeah put on a big big conference Alana is our um, event and marketing manager um, so maybe we'll get we'll get her to hop in on some of this if she yeah. wants if she hasn't already eaten but Strangely enough, one of the big comfort foods for me is breakfast food. So I brought you guys, and hopefully it's still a little bit warm. It's been sitting there talking us through the history of time. I've got you guys two egg bennies. Ooh. So this one is a regular classic, and it's from a place called Deacon's Corner. Um, that's just on the edge. Uh, I can't remember what street that is. It's about like five Deacons. blocks. Deacon's, yeah. Deacon's, Deacon's Corner. Oh, this smells so good. Um, so, so we have the regular... Ham and eggs, Benny, and then we have the 
Sam special, which is a fried chicken and eggs Benny. So, enjoy that. Sweet. Uh, We're going to enjoy that. Um, So, definitely, if you haven't watched all the episodes, and who has? Because honestly, that's 10 hours of listening to my voice. I have. Uh, Yeah, Ray has, and probably Claire begrudgingly has. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to Claire, the producer lady, as well. So, this is a wrap on season one. We've had a lot of fun. If you guys have ideas for us, give us an email, sam at launchcounter.ca, shoddy at launchcounter.ca. Give us a tweet. Do people still use Twitter other than reading fake news? No. Um, let, let us know. Uh, we're going to go back and we're going to enjoy this. Uh, so until next time. Bye, fam. See you later, Shadi's mom. Until next season. <laughs> later.